Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's April 8th. 1820, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When Yorgos Kentrotos, a farmer on the Aegean island of Milos, was removing stones from an ancient wall to use as building materials on this day back in 1820, he came upon an ancient Greek statue, but despite the fact that it had broken into pieces, each part was still too heavy to lift single-handed. But fortunately, a young French naval officer by the name of Olivier Voitier was digging a nearby site and came to lend a hand, and together they pulled out the statue from the ground and stood back to gaze upon the 2,000-year-old treasure they had just uncovered, the Venus de Milo came to lend a hand. The most famous <laughs> armless statue of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looked like you need what? a couple of hands over there, mate. <laughs> There's an amusing account of the dig as well, which is that Controtas really had no interest in this statue. If you can imagine living on this Greek island, every time you put a spade in the ground, you're hitting some piece of priceless like, ancient oh, marble. God. Yeah. yeah, but what it was used for, the marble specifically, was they would melt it to produce lime. And when Controtas found the top half of the Venus de Milo, he thought, mm, this is too heavy and the shape's too awkward, I'm not going to be able to melt this. So he was going to rebury it. And Vautier, <laughs> who was a antiquities nerd as well as a French naval ensign, came over and basically had to keep bribing him to dig yeah. more. While also presumably trying to stay a bit cool and be like, well, that's a... That's an interesting-ish thing. I wouldn't mind yeah. uh, seeing a little bit more of that. No, uh, you know, not not like, uh, it's not worth very much, but why don't we just see where this leads? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, spoiler, the French ended up buying it and it's still in the Louvre. So um, they won. But there was obviously going to be an international contest, he realised, if anyone actually worked out, as he had done, what this thing could potentially be worth. And mm. there were competing interests there. Milos, at this point, was part of the Ottoman Empire and the local priest that was a mate of Kentrotus uh, was very interested in selling it to the Ottoman mm. Empire. The French had a particular interest, though, because ever since the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo, they'd had to return a lot of priceless artefacts to the original countries they were plundered from, uh, including a Venus that they had that they had to give back <laughs> to Florence. So France was looking for a new Venus. Yeah, because, I mean, if in 1819 you'd said famous Venus sculpture to the average educated person, they would have pictured the Venus de' Medici, which had been returned to Italy from the Louvre in 1815. And so there was this real need to restock the Louvre. And apparently it was looking pretty threadbare because yeah. almost all of the famous pieces of art that people had admired in the Louvre were looted from countries that Napoleon had conquered. So there was a real thing. But there was this weird period of time where the first exhibition of the Venus de Milo was in Controtas's barn, where the Venus was put, sort of put on display. These French officers came to look at it. And you can tell already there's something a bit fishy here, right? Because Voutier wrote... 
Some of the officers who have observed it say that it is not that much. Others, on the contrary, say it is a very fine piece of work. So there's already an undercurrent here that the fame of the Venus de Milo isn't necessarily tied to its artistic merit. Yeah. But the French officers wanted to buy it anyway, but they didn't have the money or the authority to make that kind of purchase. So they were waiting to hear back from the ambassador. And during this time, the Kendrotas family accepted a rival bid from the Ottomans. Yeah. And according to the legend, the French arrived just in time to intercept the statue as it was literally being taken to a ship. There's actually a legend that it was a struggle with the Turkish sailors that destroyed the left stump of the Venus de Milo. Like if you picture it, it's got half of a right arm and no left arm. But some of the original sketches from when it was very mm. first uncovered show that part of the left arm was still intact, at least at the very beginning. Yes, it sounds yes. like the arms weren't uh, removed during the process of transportation to France. But it does rather sound like the plinth might have been. Uh, so uh, she was standing let's stop calling her Venus because she wasn't Venus she was Aphrodite right so it's a sculpture of Aphrodite because she's Greek (laughs) but the French (laughs) called her Venus because they needed an Italian sculpture because they just lost one Uh, but the plinth that would have been on the original statue would have said the name of the artist and the year that the sculpture was made and the plinth had mysteriously disappeared by the time it got Mm -hmm. to the Louvre as well (laughs) and It's reckoned now that the reason for that was because the plinth would have dated the statue as from between 300 BC and 100 BC, like old, proper old, but not as admired in the Louvre in this period as classical work which was 200 years older than that. So this is a statue from the Hellenistic period, which actually makes it a way more valuable than some classical work now. But at the time, because it wasn't as classical as Venus they wouldn't have necessarily wanted to boast about that. Just one extra detail, by the way, before it gets to the Louvre, it was actually presented to Louis XVIII. Uh, and because he was too obese, it was actually a year before he saw it. I could just, I just what? have this image of him Where like, up in bed like going... Where did they put it? Like a tiny cupboard? <laughs> eh, you've got the what? It is a <laughs> you've got the beautiful new Venus for me? I, I will get out of bed this time next year and come have a look. <laughs> so he was in too poor health to move rather than the view from his belly was obscuring it again, his feet. <laughs> I, I think that's right but yeah but so he then donated it to the Louvre and that's where it's been ever since but as right. you say they didn't want to exhibit it alongside its plinth which conveniently went missing which uh, itself indicated that this wasn't from the school of Praxiteles as most of the people from the Academy de Beaux Arts wanted to say but actually it was by a chap who was called Alexandros of Antioch and he himself was obviously very skilled and subsequent historians have found an inscription from Thespae in Boeotia where poetry and theatre competitions were held every five years and and Alexandros of Antioch is actually mentioned as a victor in singing and composing so he was obviously a bit of a polymath. He was an ancient Greek triple threat. He was. (laughs) But yeah this this plinth mysteriously vanished which enabled the obviously somewhat biased French art experts to say well it's probably from about you know 400 BC and it's probably sculpted by that famous sculptor Praxiteles that we've all heard of mm-hmm. probably him even though obviously it's subsequently been discovered that it's from a from a substantially later period but the Louvre maintained that it was a classical statue until 1951 that absolutely astonishing. <laughs> isn't that amazing I mean yeah. <laughs> it's hard to admit your mistakes you know the longer it goes on the more awkward it becomes the other bit that surprised me looking into it was that they reckoned that the missing earlobes might be because there was jewellery on there and someone had stolen the jewellery at some point, sort of tomb-raided the sculpture because that was the valuable bit. Which, 
Just, I mean, it reminds me of, of our episode we did about Tutankhamun, where you were saying, Arian, like, you kind of imagine King Tut as a gold mask, which is the death mm. mask, not the actual person who's underneath. It's the same yeah. thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I imagine Venus of Milo as the ruined bust that we've all seen on souvenirs. That's the true. idea that it might have had, like, blingy gold earrings, I mean, that would be a totally yeah. different look, wouldn't it? And we know that she was wearing jewellery because there are holes in the marble, which is where the jewellery would have been affixed. So it wasn't just a display of the sculptor's mastery of the human form. People in ancient Greece would have expected it to be decorated as well. Yeah, well, pretty much everyone got behind the Louvre's effort to make a big deal of this thing. The writer Prosper Merimé, for example, said, I've never seen anything that pretty. And the sculptor Rodin rhapsodized, Thou, thou art alive, and thy thoughts are the thoughts of women. Thou art mate of truth alone, etc., etc. But Renoir <laughs> was one of the sort of few detractors. He called it a big gendarme. <laughs> I just thought that's excellent. <laughs> the thing that isn't controversial controversial though, uh, unlike uh, the various artefacts that we in Britain stole from the Greeks, is that the French did pay for it and therefore it's theirs. Like it seems right from the beginning it was accepted that Controtus, who was just a peasant farmer after all, was entitled to make money off having found this thing uh, and that the French were entitled to buy it for having bid more and that the price they paid, uh, which was 6,000 francs, about 25 grand today, was it was a price that was deemed reasonable yes. by the seller and therefore there's no campaign like there is with the Elgin marbles or whatever for this to be returned to Greece like it is accepted now as as something you see in France which is strange because it it is Greek yeah I mean I think actually you know the the business of who owns the stuff of classical antiquity is quite nuanced you know if it if you happen to go digging in your own backyard and you find some piece of Egyptian actual Egyptian tat then, then it's not yours it's humanities so I, so there, I think there is a, a, a bit of a fledgling campaign from the people on the island of Milo to bring the statue back yeah I mean that but that only started in 2017 but again yeah. see it's just another reminder that at the time of the discovery the Venus de Milo was not seen as especially significant mm. or you know the Greeks certainly weren't particularly attached to holding on to her if there was money in the offing because there were just so many artifacts like that that were being dug up pretty much on a daily basis and if it hadn't been for this gigantic sustained publicity campaign from the French authorities then she probably would still be a minor exhibit at the Louvre but an interesting side note though is that while Venus did leave her Greek homeland Routier the French naval ensign he actually stayed he went on to become a colonel in the Greek army uh, during the fight for independence from the Ottoman Empire so he actually was left behind yeah there was an amazing thing that I found that he was given the assignment of laying siege to the centre of Athens without damaging its monuments we know what you did with the plinth mate you know (laughs) (laughs) just be careful old butterfingers (laughs) (laughs) next time yeah, apparently Lennon and McCartney came and saw the band play and then approached him afterwards and asked if that he wanted to be in their band. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.